Truth is, I am Iron Man. I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. What is going on? What are you doing? To infinity and beyond! This is the way. The flux capacitor! Is Star Wars the one with the little wizard boy? Chewie, we're home. Avengers! Assemble. Ah, oh, chills. Literal chills. Hello, fans. To United We Fan, the podcast. United with me is my co-host, the Lumos in my darkness, Brian. What's up, Brian? Hey, everyone. We hope you all enjoyed last week's episode about Disney theme parks, where we had our first guest host, Chris. If you're interested in being a guest host of the show, let us know, and we'll see what we can do. In this week's episode, we're uniting to discuss the Wizarding Film World of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. But first... Thank you all for uniting with us here on CKCC Radio as we talk about all things fandom. CKCC Radio is our home, so please spread your support to the rest of the variety of shows they have on the channel to entertain you. They have podcasts ranging from wrestling talk shows, episode reviews of The Simpsons, Chris Ranks the Universe, music ranking tracks with Jeff, Real Paranormal Talk, and many other podcasts. You can check all of us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. In Mark and Brian's world news, Major League Baseball is back. Brian and I are big baseball fans so much that next week, our episode is going to be about some of our favorite baseball films. But that's not all with sports. Brian, tell us about your new podcast. Yeah, you can find us anywhere you find your podcast. The name of it is called BNA Sports Podcast. It's myself and my co-host, Ashley. Uh, this past week, we talked about the reveal of the Seattle Kraken in the NHL, which is a pretty cool mascot with some cool colors and stuff like that. But we talked mostly about the return of baseball. And the funnest topic of the whole show was Astros over and under hit by pitch count. I hope the Astros <laughs> get hit by a few extra pitches for not being very uh, apologetic for, for cheating during the World Series a few years ago. Yeah, they are getting pretty lucky without there being fans this season. And I actually like the Kraken name and colors. Good for the NHL. I feel like they're coming out with new and creative team names as opposed to recycled ones. So good on them. And then, let's see, recent news, Taylor Swift, I know I'm going to get dro- uh, a lot of judgment for this, Taylor Swift dropped a new album, surprised a lot of people, I checked it out a couple of times, I like it, I think it's a very powerful album from her, it's definitely her most mature, with the themes of the songs, heck, she even has that E next to her songs for illicit language, Brian, how, are you uh, Swifting at all? I did see the explicit language stuff. I listened to a couple of the songs. I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan. I mean, there may be the judgment more on my end than your end, Mark. It seems like everybody really cares about about Taylor Swift. But I I, I like her country stuff. I kind of fell off. I don't count down the days to her next album. But nobody really could count down the days to this album because she just dropped it as a huge surprise, which I think is really cool. She's reached a point as a creator where she can make stuff in her house and collab with people even when they're not in the same room and create an entire album of 16 songs. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, good for her for having the explicit language, like just to show this is not going to be your basic T-Swift album. She's grown up and so her songs matured a lot. I also checked out Hootie and the Blowfish, huge fan of them. I forgot that they were releasing an album this year. I was all excited for it, and then it just showed up. I like it a lot. It's got a lot of those good Hootie sounds and vibes fits in with their previous albums. 
But you can tell that Darius Rucker definitely has been doing his country thing for a while. Some of the songs, he's still trying to inject some of that country rucker with Hootie, but it's not country at all. It still sounds and feels like Hootie and the Blowfish. Check it out. Of course, both those albums are on Spotify. Brian, I know you're a country Darius Rucker listener, so check it out. Yeah, I like Darius Rucker. Um, I'm I'm not quite old enough to be a huge Hootie and the Blowfish fan, but I like Darius Rucker as the uh, as the country artist. But this this new Hootie stuff, I mean, it was it was okay. It didn't grab me like you, Mark. Okay, in Mark and Brian's world polls, my current ongoing one is finding out everyone's favorite '90s animated series. My friends have been surprising me with every round. King of the Hill, Beavis and Butthead, and Futurama. If you're fans of them, I guess you're not a friend of mine because those left in the first round, very surprisingly. I was very surprised that, actually, not surprised, more sad, that The Critic didn't make it that far as well. It did get some loving, so I was happy about that. But, Brian, any surprises to you so far? Not really. I did expect King of the Hill to make a little bit more of a run. I was surprised Futurama lost, but it didn't hurt my feelings. I don't love Futurama. Uh, it just never really quite landed with me. Maybe I'm not smart enough. That's very <laughs> likely. But I, I don't know. Everything, for the most part, has played out kind of how I expected. X-Men is, is still moving on, so I'm excited about that. Batman the Animated Series is making a good run, and just like we predicted, Rugrats is making a good run as well. And then you have a recent Mount Rushmore where you asked everyone to rank their top four Parks and Rec characters. And um, mine ended up being Ben, Ron, Leslie Nope, and uh, Chris Traeger. It is fantastic to be here. That was actually pretty easy. I It hurt me not to have Chris Pratt in there, but yeah, he just didn't make my Mount Rushmore. But Brian, who you got? Yeah, Chris Pratt, Andy Dwyer definitely made mine. Um, I love anything Chris Pratt's in, especially his character of Andy Dwyer is the whole reason I got into Parks and Rec. So he was on mine. I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Uh, ben Wyatt uh, and Ron Swanson were the two that we had in common. And then my fourth one was, as we talked about in our comedy TV show character episode, Bobby Newport. Paul Rudd's character. He cracks me up. I loved his character on that show. Um, I really wanted to include him, which left off April Ludgate. April's Aww. the best. Yeah. I think April's hilarious. Um, I do want to give a shout out to one of my friends on uh, another channel that I that I follow, and he put up a list of four as Terry, Gary, Larry, and Jerry, and just four different pictures of Jerry Gergich, and it uh, that won the uh, that won the poll for me for sure. Yeah, that definitely takes the win there. And like Brian mentioned, we did do a favorite TV sitcom characters a couple episodes ago. So check that out if you'd like to hear us talk more about Parks and Rec. But now it's time for us to talk about the wizarding film world of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast. I think our listeners want to know what kind of wizarding world scholars are we. I personally have read the seven Harry Potter books plus the two screenplay novelizations of Fantastic Beast as well as the Cursed Child novelization. I wouldn't say I'm head of the class when it comes to the subject, so no there. I know several people that I would definitely call for pot of trivia before I volunteered, but I would say I have a good amount of knowledge about the topic. 
I definitely loved Cursed Child when I saw it in New York City. An amazing theater experience, something like you'll never see. And then I love a very Potter musical. Got to get back to Hogwarts, definitely. But Brian, what kind of Wizarding Scholar are you? Man, the Harry Potter musical. I haven't thought about that in a while. I have seen both parts of that. That is really funny. I know I read the first three books when I was a kid, but I've, I'm much more of an audiobook person in general, especially the way Jim Dale reads the Harry Potter books in audiobook fashion. I really enjoy those. Yes, so I've yep. listened to all seven of the books in audiobook fashion, so I'm familiar with them there, but it has been a while since I've, since I've gotten around to them, so I'm far more familiar with the movies than I am anything else. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up the audiobooks. I love those so much. Just the production that goes into them is amazing. I'm sure also our listeners out there want to know what houses we are sorted in. And we're going to do Hogwarts and Ilvermorny since we're talking about Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. So, Brian, what houses are you going to be representing? So I'm going to get the one out of the way that I know the least about, and that's the Ilvomorny house, which if you don't know what that is, it's the American version of Hogwarts. And I actually was sorted into the Pugwudgie house, and I <laughs> think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that's all I'm going to say about that. It says that I'm a, I'm caring in nature, so it kind of didn't peg me correctly anyway. But regardless, I'm a, I'm a Pugwudgian, or, or however you would say that there. But in the uh, Hogwarts stuff, I am yellow all the way. I'm a Hufflepuff. I was going to say, I, I think you're a Hufflepuff is what you're going to go with. I I ended up with uh, the Thunderbirds when it comes to Ilvermorny. See, it's and... so much cooler than a Pugwudgie. I don't, I, I'm, yeah. I'm frustrated. But I feel like Thunderbird is like the one that grabs everyone. They're like, oh, I want to be a Thunderbird. Yours is like that underdog, kind of like the Hufflepuffs, the lovable underdog that is just the fun one. And then um, I'm a Gryffindor. Uh, every test I've taken is Gryffindor. Typical. So, yeah, I, I was waiting for that. So I know we have a reputation. Mark, I do I, have a quick story I want to tell. And if you want to find out what horse, what house you're in, you can go to wizardingworld.com and find out. Um, but I want to tell a story about my time on wizardingworld.com. It also assigns you a Patronus. And my Patronus is a red squirrel. And I hate that my Patronus is a red squirrel because my wife's is like a dolphin or something cool like that. And I have taken this Patronus quiz like six times. One night I took it like five times in a row and I got red squirrel four out of the five times. And the other time I got was like a sparrow. Like yeah. it was so, it was so fresh. Like a red squirrel, there's nothing more, I guess, huffle puffy and, and pug wudgy <laughs> and about, about a Patronus. But that, that was really frustrating. I got an otter, which at first yeah, that's I was cool. like, no, it is cool, but I I didn't expect it at all. So it kind of caught me off guard, but I am all for it. I love it. Just like I love Hufflepuffs. My best friend is a Hufflepuff. So I will also shout out, speaking of Hufflepuffs, Puffs, the musical. If you get a chance to watch it, check it oh, out. It I is, did see that in the movie theaters. That is really funny. Yes, it is brilliant. We also did a episode a couple of... Uh, Episodes ago, where we talked about the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Orlando. Check it out. But for any of you listeners who might have skipped class with that one, we're just going to go over. Brian, what's your favorite Wizarding World ride, food, and magical item? 
Uh, I still have not made it to Universal to try their Better Beer ice cream, so my apologies oh. to you, Mark. Um, I need to make it over to Universal to do that. I really like the Chocolate Frog. I just think the theming of that snack is really fun. Item, um, I really like the the wands, especially the interactive wands, when you get a chance to actually be interactive with them. Another reason why I want to make it over to Universal Studios now, where there's not as many people at the park. Um, and my favorite attraction um, is going to be Forbidden Journey in the Hogwarts Castle. Just the queue line is the best queue line of all theme park attractions, Rise of the Resistance excluded. Just that queue line is really, really fun. And just the ride technology is something that they haven't really replicated. I like uh, Escape from Gringotts, but it's pretty similar to a lot of that other 3D technology that Universal has used in a few of their other attractions. I have not ridden uh, Hagrid's motorbike adventure, though, so I, uh, I say that without having ridden all of the attractions. I got to go with, as Brian mentioned, for food. It's a no-brainer for me. The Butterbeer ice cream is just so good. Honestly, if you go there, you can live off uh, their ice cream, different flavors the whole day. I would be happy. Favorite ride, Forbidden Journey. I Not just because I was part of the opening team for that, very honored, but just because I love the ride, love the queue. Like you said, just going on the ride, you feel like you're in Hogwarts. Item, I'm going to go with my Gryffindor sweater i when they came out with that item i've been wanting it for a long time and when i get to wear it it's wool and it's heavy so when do i get to wear it that much in florida but i love it so much now it's time for the episode but i'm gonna give a friendly reminder just for all of our potter enthusiasts out there just so we aren't judged too harshly brian and i will discuss only the films of the wizarding world We aren't going to be deep diving into how the books are compared to the films or anything along those lines. We're just going to keep it to our thoughts on the films and how we feel about them. With our Star Wars episode that we did a couple of weeks ago, we ranked all Star Wars films. And for Brian, I know that was like asking him to rank his children. So it seems only fair for me to have to rank these Brian, do you want to go first, or would you like me to go first? I can go first. Like you said, Mark, I think uh, Harry Potter to you is what Star Wars is to me. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit when you say that you wouldn't call yourself for Harry Potter trivia. I think you know more than than you're letting on. But I, again, like ranking the children for you will be <laughs> this for me. So I'll, I'll prolong the agony a little bit. But Thank um, you. my my rankings are going to be one through ten. We are including the Fantastic Beast films. My favorite Harry Potter film is The Prisoner of Azkaban, the third one. I love that movie. Um, It's really what kind of made me come around on the Harry Potter movies, Um, and there's a lot of fun stuff in that one. I really like that movie. Second is going to be Deathly Hallows Part Two, the last one, the eighth movie. Uh, Third is Four, The Goblet of Fire. Fourth is The Deathly Hallows Part part One, and I guess I'm going to get a little bit roasted on on that being so high on my list. I guess some people don't really care for that movie as much. I still really like that movie. Fifth is Six, The Half-Blood Prince. Sixth is going to be the first Fantastic Beast film. That's where they sneak in. And then seventh is The Sorcerer's Stone, the very first one, the one most true to the book because the book was so much shorter. Eighth is going to be The Order of the Phoenix, the fifth one. Ninth is Fantastic Beast 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and dead last, because I desperately do not like spiders at all, is The Chamber of Secrets. So you all will find that Brian and I, uh, our, our rankings are very, very different on this one. Here goes. My top film, Sorcerer's Stone. 
I love that film. It just feels like classic, fun Harry Potter. Number two will be Deathly Hallows Part 2. I love the music in that movie so much. Number three, I love the first Fantastic Beasts movie and where to find them. I think it's extremely underrated. I love it, love it, love it so much. That's easily in my top three. Next up is going to be The Half-Blood Prince. I know... That one usually isn't thought of too highly, but when it came out in my life, I just love the movie so much. Chamber of Secrets was actually my introduction to the film Wizarding World. I remember I watched that first. I, at the time, I was anti-Harry Potter, and then I saw the movie, and I was like, all right, I actually really like this. So I have to have the Chamber of Secrets pretty high up. After that, will be the Goblet of Fire, all the bad haircuts and everything then next coming up will be the deathly hallows part one i think it's underrated i enjoy it i i know a lot of people go oh it's just them walking and ron being whiny and melodramatic i don't see it that way i enjoy it quite a bit then the bottom three we got prisoner of azkaban i'm not in any way saying it's a bad movie just i don't watch it too much fantastic beast the crimes of grindelwald I don't think it's bad, like everyone says. I enjoy it. I, I think they didn't quite know what they wanted it to be about. And then the one I watched the least will be The Order of the Phoenix. Just doesn't do too much for me. Umbridge, God, that woman is just... <laughs> man, talk about one of the most hated... Like, oh, she's just the worst. Like, Voldemort, you don't like. Umbridge, you hate that woman. So, but still, that film is the one I watched the least, so it's at the bottom for me. We welcome any and all input on our rankings. If you'd like to check us out on Instagram, feel free to message or comment on the post. We'll have a friendly debate with you. Yeah, but, the thing that stood out to me the most, Mark, is your your number one was like seventh on my list, and my number one was like eighth on your list. That's a pretty big, pretty big difference, pretty big gap. Which one are you talking about? Azkaban? Yeah, Azkaban and Sorcerer's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone, you know what? Let's start there. Let's start where it all began. Sorcerer's Stone, for me, I just love it because they had it easier with the book being shorter so they could film more of it. And then I loved how fun and innocent everything was and introducing everybody to the wizarding world when Hagrid walks in. I love his little introduction. Rubius Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. And then you also had ghosts still in the Harry Potter movies. They actually had them as major characters in the first one. So it just has that fun, happy Wizarding World vibe to it. And that's why I loved it so much. It also had Richard Harris Dumbledore, which is just so fun to look back on. I don't think Richard Harris could have ever officially pulled off everything that Dumbledore had to do later on. So they did have to recast the role after he passed away, unfortunately. But uh, I'm with you. It It's fun to look back on, but I think that's part of, you talked about the innocence of the characters and stuff like that. I think that's what doesn't quite land with me. The acting in that movie isn't super stellar. <laughs> I think that's where the third one, the director change came around. And that just, that's what took the franchise to a whole new level. Um, I think that's when, the movie started working for me so that's kind of why i ranked it so low but i mean we aren't cursed with annoying child actors can we at least agree on that or no until until emma watson's supposed to be the annoying child 
um, in oh. the movie, but she's not a child. <laughs> she's not an annoying child actor. She's just a snobby little girl. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. The child actors themselves don't get on my nerves. It's just not the highest level of acting all around. Right, and I know it's a huge debate. Which Dumbledore do you prefer? And I think the first Dumbledore, Sir Richard Harris, he was perfect as Dumbledore for the first two movies. And then rest in peace. In no way is it a good thing that he went when he did. All I'm saying is I think the change came at a good time character-wise for Michael Gambon to take over as Dumbledore for the third one. Just like I think it was great that the directors changed. Chris Columbus was, I believe, the perfect director for the first two films. Chris Columbus did Home Alone. He did Mrs. Doubtfire. So I think he was a great choice for the first two. The tone changed a lot in the third, in Prisoner of Azkaban, and that's kind of why the director change made such a big difference. And it needed to. It, you know, it was a, that's where things kind of started to be a taste of darker Wizarding World. And the third one, I, I mean, even the, the ties and the scarves, that's where they changed to what we have now. I will admit Part of me wishes when they had the flashbacks in the later films, they kind of would have flashed back to the tie and scarf patterns that they had in the first two movies. But uh, that's just me being me. I like David Toulis as Professor Lupin. I thought that was perfect casting. Sirius Black. I mean, I loved that they had uh, Gary Oldman as Sirius. That the, the film franchises, you just have so many characters that were perfectly cast. Prisoner of Azkaban, it's, I don't dislike the movie at all. I love the score by John Williams. I actually think it's my favorite album of the films is Prisoner of Azkaban. I love the relationship between Harry and Sirius at the end there, just when they're having their heart to heart. It's just something you didn't really get to see in the first two movies, a touching moment like that. The scene when you think Lupin and Sirius Black are in on it together, um, and then they realize that he scabbers his Peter Pettigrew, and just that entire scene in that attic, um, that's a really fun scene, and you you think, oh no, like Lupin's in on it too, like that can't possibly be what's going on here, but then it kind of flips on its head, and this rat's been the bad guy all along, it's pretty interesting, I just like the twists and turns that that movie takes. And then I love the Marauder's Map, how they did that in the film. And then one little, I, I laugh every time in the beginning there with the aunt that Harry inflates and then she's <laughs> floating away. I enjoy that so much. And then the night bus, I love how they did the night bus, the shrunken head. It's okay to me. I'm okay really? with this. I, I I'm really not, like that. I Wow. Interesting. He's okay to me. Like if it had been deleted, would I have? Missed it? No. Am I okay that they added it? Sure. It's a really fun character meet and greet at uh, the Wizarding World at Universal Studios as well. You can meet the shrunken head and, and he'll talk back to you and stuff like that. That's a pretty that's a pretty neat thing. But I think the night bus scene is really creative and really fun to watch. I think one of the things I laugh at the most is when Harry gets to the leaky cauldron. You have the Minister of Magic's assistant and he's just trying to like feed Harry... And it's just small little humorous moments. And then I remember the minister makes a joke and the little assistant, he starts laughing 
Come now, Harry, the Ministry doesn't send people to Azkaban for blowing up their aunt. <laughs> and the Minister looks at him. I just, it's a humorous moment and scene for me that I laugh out loud every time. The last thing I want to say about The Prisoner of Azkaban, I enjoy it. What makes Harry Potter is Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort. There's no question about that. But I think the departure from Voldemort being the main villain and there not being as much of an overarching villain kind of helps this movie stand on its on its own a little bit. Now it does break my ever so loving time travel rules that were set up by Avengers Endgame. There's a lot of different uh, time travel things that happens in this one, but seeing the same scenes play out from a couple of, couple of different angles, I really just like how they executed that movie. And Buckbeak lives. Yay. Oh, I love Buckbeak. You know what? Let's talk about one that isn't as highly thought of, and it does have its own problems. I'm talking about Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald. I, I, I really like Johnny Depp's casting. I think the four coming back, I love the four main characters. Although I will say that Queenie... I do I not love... like Queenie. I will say that that's what really brings down the Fantastic Beasts movie for me. I do not like that character even a little bit. See, I really like her in the first one. And then in the second one, whatever strength the character has is gone, I feel like, in the second one. And that kind of irritated me. But I do love Johnny Depp's portrayal when he's doing his, like, speech to encourage everyone to join his cause towards the end. I, I think that's just Johnny Depp showing how much he can own a scene. That speech that he that he gives at the end is really that's an intense that's a very intense scene and he kind of gets everything out of that meeting that he wanted um, and it's just it's really interesting but the I really enjoy the Niffler um, specifically yeah. in this movie <laughs> I I don't it's really convenient that he takes the blood vial all that kind of stuff overall this movie just it's too convenient too fan servicey for me um, no. Nagini. Um, I hate the inclusion of that character, how it was included. I think it was just so forced. I also do not. I hope they I hope it's part of the story that this last Dumbledore brother isn't actually real. And it's just a story that that Grindelwald is telling him. None of it really adds up. None of it makes sense. A lot of stuff just seems to be forcing his story that doesn't fit it doesn't work for me as a casual fan of the harry potter series it's just too disjointed too much fan service for me personally see and i can't disagree more i think nagini is not forced at all i think you just need to be patient the story is going to get to her down the road i don't think it's fan service at all because i've just heard so many fans that weren't happy with a lot of things in there so i'm hearing you talk about it i'm like that's not what i'm hearing from all the potter fans that have seen it so it's interesting getting your perspective because i'm just like brian you you're on an island from what i keep hearing well i'm not on the island from this being one of the the least liked movies out there i don't yes. i don't think uh well, but that I, goes to my point of it's not fan service since it's one of the least liked ones i think avengers endgame made way more fan service moments than this one did this one i wouldn't even call it a fan service movie i would say endgame is definitely a fan service movie 
we may just define it differently because I think including a character like Nagini is exactly that. I think Avengers Endgame pays off a lot of stuff that I wouldn't, I, I would call it fan service, yes, but Cap picking up Mjolnir while fan service is still paying off an entire storyline that had been built up over 23 films. So, well, no, that's not, that's not fan service at all. Fan service, there's other things in Endgame, but going back to like Fantastic Beasts, I think, are you going to be more open-minded though? I don't think Nagini was introduced just to be fan service. I think Nagini is going to play a bigger part. I think. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're judging these movies on a story that's not yet complete. There's more fantastic beast movies coming. So I'm willing to definitely take a look at, at fantastic beasts overall. Once the final story has been told, there's no question about that. I was frustrated by the surprise Dumbledore brother. We've already done that once in the Harry Potter movies with Abbeforth. I just, I don't, I don't know a surprise brother that, everybody didn't know about i do like what they did with with dumbledore even though jude law wasn't built up again wait for the entire thing to play out we'll see what dumbledore can do but actually being physically in incapable of fighting grindelwald the way they explained all that was pretty interesting um but overall i just i don't know his escape at the very beginning of the movie uh grindelwald's escape from capture that's a really cool scene all that uh ezra miller i don't know smile I don't want to be the smile more guy. I just need a little bit more emotion from Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, I can totally get maybe showing a little bit more emotion. I'm not even going to disagree with you there. The Dumbledore brother, you're, I, 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 Brian, I just want you to like, remember there's more to explain. This is the second of five movies. I think a lot of people are doing that as well, but I will say this. I don't honestly believe that he's Dumbledore's brother. I think it's Grindelwald doing some mind games. I think this is Johnny Depp trying to, um, Grindelwald trying to achieve a goal, and he knows he can't take on Dumbledore, but he knows that Credence can, so he's using him. So I think that's all it is. I could end up being wrong, but I, I, don't, I don't think we know everything yet, so I think just patience is a good way to go. I just hope they know the story they're trying to tell. Like I said, I'm waiting to, I'm willing to to revisit once it's going, once it's going out, but taking a look back at star Wars, for example, the sequel trilogy, they ended up after we've seen all three films, they didn't know the story they wanted to tell. They wrote these films all individually, making it not one cohesive story. And I'm, I'm afraid that that's what fantastic beast is going to turn into. I just hope they know what story they want to tell and they're not deviating from it. If, if they have that story and they film to it, I am fully willing to admit I was wrong. The writer of these movies has already stated that they have an outline. So I think your worries are going to be taken care of. Now, I'm sure after this film, some rewriting and re- replanning are going to be happening. But the uh, screenwriter has thought out this five five film series. So... We're just going to have to trust in it. Zoe Kravitz as Lilo Lestrange I thought was good casting. But I think my problem with the film is just after re-watching it again and again is that the movie just isn't sure what it wants to be about. Does it want to be about Lilo Lestrange? We spend a lot of time with her, but the film is called The Crimes of Rindelwald, and yet we don't focus too much on that. I think the film could have been titled something else because it focuses on other things I do love that we get to see different parts of Newt's life. 
I love that we went into his house and we could see where he stores all of his fantastic beasts. I do also appreciate that we got more Nifflers involved. So I loved all that. Shout out to Funko. I was able to purchase my sister-in-law a 10-inch version of the Niffler holding a little a little shiny watch. Um, that's a, that's a really fun that's a really fun Funko that that they made. I like all the beasts and the way they tie the beasts into the films. Um, while we're on the topic, Mark, let's talk about the first Fantastic Beast film if we can. Um, I just think the way that you didn't know what that movie was going to be when you were coming into it. I think the way they tied it into the entire world. Newt Scamander is such an awkward guy. Um, I do like Eddie Redmayne's character as as when he takes Tina's hair and he like brushes it away from her face at the end of the movie, they're both just so uh, awkward. He doesn't even know what to do, but both yeah. of them play out really well for me. Again, the character of Queenie, I don't like her in the first one either. Um, but then, then in the second one, she makes a bunch of problematic, like what are you doing kind of, kind of decisions, but um, just to be disenfranchised with the entire wizarding world, I, I get where they were going, but just the way it was executed, I don't like it, but just jumping into the suitcase and then, and then putting Newt Scamander on the floor of, of the trial, and he just kind of pokes his head out of there. Like, the visuals of that are really cool. Seeing what the old ministry used to look like, all of that is really cool. I like Colin Farrell's character and the way they pulled him, the way they pulled off that surprise at the end of the first one. I really liked. What's the name of the of the black smoke monster um, that kind of takes the form of, of the kid in the first one? That's, that's kind of an odd way to do it but it was something you didn't see coming either so i think that was i think the first one did a lot more for me than the second one i think it at least knew the movie it wanted to be i i love this movie i love the soundtrack the soundtrack is in my top three i think of the harry potter soundtracks um new commander and jacob kowalski they're on my mount rushmore of potter characters colin farrell i liked him a lot i was really sad when his character was no more after that. I was kind of hoping they would do like with Mad-Eye Moody, that they could bring him back in the next one. But they were like, nope, we're done with Graves. He's he's dead. He's gone. He's done. Tina took a little time for her to grow on me. And then I enjoyed her. Queenie, I definitely like her a lot more in this movie than the second one. I think she's a fun, strong character. I love the scenes between Queenie and Jacob when they're in the little speakeasy and the cuteness of the the giggle water <laughs> love that scene and then the end between newt and tina when she asked if he could read she could read his book and then the music plays as he leaves i loved loved everything about that but i i love the film it for me felt very old school wizarding world which i liked we could see the earlier times we could also see what the wizarding world was like in America, how it was different. My favorite thing about that is they call the muggles nomadges because the Americans just can't call anything that any Europeans ever call something. I I loved everything about it. I even bought New Scamander's scarf when I found it. Yeah, Eddie Redmayne um, did a really good job as, as Newt Scamander. And again, I think I I don't love fantastic beasts as a franchise name um especially if you do the fantastic beasts and where to find them like i think that's a really that kind of narrows down the focus of the franchise they always feel like they kind of have to come back and they at least in the first two movies they always came back the first one it made a little more sense but i just i almost wish they called it something different than fantastic beasts but it definitely gives it its own its own identity there's no question about that 
Yeah, I can understand your side. I mean, I like it, um, but I definitely understand your side to that because with the second one, there, yes, there are Fantastic Beasts in the second one, but it's branching out from that. So I totally understand that. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that brought this movie down for me, uh, again, other than Queenie, was just the... I think it was too easy to do the memory loss in the rain cloud kind of deal. <laughs> the movie was a little bit too long and they needed to kind of wrap it up and stuff like that. I didn't really enjoy that. The visuals of them going around and fixing up the city was really cool. Um, but just to say everybody's memory was wiped just because it rained men in black memory loss stuff. Like I don't, I didn't really care for that particular end, but just that entire movie, I remember how much it surprised me, how it was not what I expected, but I think it's just those two things that really dropped it down the list for me. I won't even deny that the ending is kind of easy with the memory rain. No arguments here. I don't think the film was too long and they needed to rush and wrap it up, but it then it did become how wait oh man we ended up here how are we gonna fix this hey memory rain that's fine let's do that like everybody in the city is outside and wants to stand in the rain nobody has an umbrella like i mean it's convenient but it is what it is like i i it's it's fine yeah i totally get it but i i still love the film you put it on i will happily watch it anytime especially the scenes between Newt and Jacob. I'll watch that. Now, there's absolutely nothing for you to worry about. Tell me, has anyone ever believed you? You told him not to worry? Well, my philosophy is that worrying means you suffer twice. Well, Brian, sell me on the Order of the Phoenix. Um, seeing the Order of the Phoenix at the beginning of the movie with Siri- in Sirius's house, and he's all cleaned up and looking very Gary Oldman-like, I really like those particular scenes but i'm with you this one just doesn't just doesn't quite just doesn't quite work the room of requirement i think they could have done some really cool stuff with that and they just didn't and if i remember correctly in the book they do a lot more with the room of requirement than they do in the movie um so i just think the the potential of the room of requirement was was there and it was never touched in really any of the eight movies umbridge they convince you that umbridge is the worst person in the world she is the worst villain of these movies voldemort included like i will i would pick voldemort over her any day of the week i can't stand her that scene when i will not tell lies and it etches on his hand is so cool visually as well um but you can actually just yeah, that would really that would really hurt. Like that would convince somebody to not do that again. I really like that particular scene as well. Um, but just overall, the Cho Chang stuff, like none of it just really it just again wasn't exactly sure what it wanted to be. I think it took the wrong stuff from the book to tell a convincing story. I don't dislike the movie. It has, like you said, a lot of great visuals. The battle between or the little battle between Dumbledore and Voldemort. You got chills when that. Yeah, came in the up. ministry there. Yeah, that's a cool scene. I kind of wish that Sirius's death would have been a, like. Don't get me wrong. It it was very sad to watch, but I feel like it just didn't build up to where it could have been extremely heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I was sad, but I feel like I I should have left that heartbroken. And then, yeah, it was a very fast scene. They didn't they didn't spend really a ton of emotional time on it. And then the Dolores Umbridge character is 
just a film character that you hate. Thank you for those kind words of welcome. And how lovely to see all your bright, happy faces smiling up at me. Emilda Staunton, I hope I'm not butchering her name. I think she should have been nominated for so many acting awards for her performance. She was great. Her little, like, pompous laugh giggle. <laughs> Ugh. I love that her office is pink with the little kitty pictures on the walls. I always thought that was funny. She did a great job. She really brought that character to life. She's worse in the movies than she is in the books, I remember. Like, in the books, you hated her. But just the way she brought that character to life. And this was the first movie she was in. But I think we just get better umbrage stuff later on as well. I think that's part of what brings this movie down the list for me. For me, I think where the film just goes wrong is that it strays so heavily from the source material. And I, I know a lot of the movies do. But this one, you could tell they just strayed heavily. I know they had a different writer on this one, which probably didn't help. It was David Yates' first Harry Potter movie, and of course he would go on to do the rest, and including the Fantastic Beasts. So for not having such a strong start, I mean, I am glad that he continued on. But overall, the film, it's not one I can watch over and over. It won't even be the first one I bring up to watch. How do you feel about the Cho Chang love story? I know it was a lot more fleshed out in the books, uh, but the Cho Chang love story, the way that that plays out on screen for me, it just... It's, it's cringeworthy. See, and for you who like to use the review forced, I thought you would say how they just tried to force that into the movie and it didn't feel natural at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely forced. There's no there's no two ways, two ways about that. I'm glad we at least agree there. For me, this was easy to put as my least favorite. Again, that's not to say you don't like it. Yeah, if you put it on, I'll sit and watch it. But it's not my first choice to watch. You know what? Let's talk about The Deathly Hollows Part 1. I think it's extremely underrated. Hopefully, maybe after Brian and I talk about it, you all will go back and rewatch it and give it another chance. Yeah, I the idea of the Horcruxes in general are really cool. Um, if people get mad about, hey, the whole movie was them walking and walking and walking, like, fine by me. I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they just the way that they the way they find all the different Horcruxes and stuff like that are really cool. And I know the Horcruxes were introduced in the movie before, but the thing I, I remember the only thing I hate about this movie is that really weird vision that Ron has of, of top topless Harry and topless Hermione, like whatever they're doing. Um, that's a really weird scene that just doesn't fit the rest of the movie. I know that that's kind of his worst nightmare, um, but just, Ron showing back up, kind of being the hero. Everybody kind of knew Ron always was. I think that plays off really well. I like the visuals of the really small tent, and then on the inside, it's super big. The sword of Godric Gryffindor, like all that kind of stuff, it's all convenient, but it's all there to tell to tell a grander story. So when we talk about convenient from memory drop rain versus this, I'm good with the way they pulled this off. They did the job of Dobby being the hero, and just the way they end the film with, everything happening with Dobby and then Voldemort getting the elder wand right at the end. Uh, and with Luna's dad and just all the death eaters showing up at Luna's house, uh, just all that kind of stuff I think is really fun. The way the whole story comes together. I really like the visuals of 
of the story when Luna's dad tells what the Deathly Hallows are, just that scroll paper with the black ink and animation. I just think that's visually really, really cool to watch. So there's a lot of good stuff in that movie that I just really like. I do love the retelling as an animated film. I thought that was brilliant directing. I'm glad they did that. I love how the film starts off with the new Minister of Magic, Bill Nye, like kind of doing his opening press speech. These are dark times, there is no denying. Our world has perhaps faced no greater threat than it does today. I thought that was a great way to start it. And then the scene with the seven potters. Bill, look away. I'm hideous. I thought that was a very humorously well done, visually effects-wise. I think killing Mad-Eye Moody off-screen was a, was a bad decision. I did not like that. I really like Mad-Eye Moody's character, and killing him off-screen and, and never really bringing him back up didn't, didn't really work for me. Yeah, that kind of played with how it did in the books. I understand from a movie point of view, this is a character that, you know, you started to make us care about, but yet, oh, there he goes off-screen. So I totally understand that. The scene for me that I just always thought was so powerful was the one between Bellatrix and Hermione when she's torturing her. I thought that scene was just so powerful. And to read about it, how it was filmed, I don't, I don't know. That, that, that was definitely not a fun day to be on set. It was fun to go back to Gringotts, too, and to go to Bellatrix's... Uh vault and all the stuff in there to duplicate and all that kind of stuff like that's a really cool scene and just the way they have to escape Gringotts was a lot of fun I really like the characters that they have to impersonate to get in and all that kind of stuff it's pretty fun the thing about and we can like start talking about the second one is I I think the first one is a lot of story development expositions the second one they knew this is going to be about the Battle of Hogwarts. This is going to be what everything has led up to. Let's give this story its own spotlight. I think it needed it. That battle that battle was epic. I will say, having just reread the book, there's parts that I wish would have been in the movie when it came to the battle, but I still think overall, and the soundtrack is beautiful. I love the Deathly Alice Part II soundtrack. It's definitely in my top five of ones that I'll listen to. Going back to Gringotts, I do like how when they were in Bellatrix's vault with the expanding items, I thought that was fun how they did it. But even getting into Gringotts, you know, having Hermione as Bellatrix, but how they filmed it was they actually had Emma Watson pretend to be Bellatrix. So Helena Bonham Carter was pretending to be Hermione, who was pretending to be her. It was just a really fascinating, from an acting perspective, I really liked it a lot. And then they go into Gringotts, and you see how they get to the vaults, which, of course, inspired the ride. The ending, though, with Deathly Hallows Part Two, I, I thought it was a huge epic battle. Several deaths in it got shortchanged. Sadly, you know, for them splitting into two parts... For them to shortchange things, especially deaths, really big character deaths. You know what death wasn't shortchanged was Nagini's death. I just love Neville getting to be the hero. Um, and I saw a thing online the other day where Neville and Harry are both dressed like their like their parents were at the first battle. Um, I thought that was that was kind of a cool Easter egg that I never really knew about 
with Neville wearing his sweater vest like his dad and all that kind of stuff. Neville getting to be the hero. And then he magically turned into this attractive guy now that this movie now that these movies are done filming. I think good for Neville. I do like the little resolution after the battle with Hermione, Ron, and Harry. It does make me sad that Harry didn't fix his wand like he does in the book, but you know, it is what it is. And then afterwards Let's talk about it. The final uh, scene. I think this movie really struggled from the standpoint of they just added basically pillows under their sweaters to make them older and fatter. And just the way they pulled off the aging them farther into the future, it did not work for me at all. It was very distracting. I, I, it was very distracting to me. That's just my opinion on it. And I know they reshot it because they weren't too happy with the effects at the time or sorry, with the makeup that was shown up. So they re back with reshoots. I didn't mind it. Did they look old enough to be their age? I think they definitely aged up Ginny. She probably aged the most. <laughs> yeah, they gave her the Karen haircut. Yeah, oh, they did. Harry, I think, did a pretty well job. Emma Watson looked very mature. I didn't like how they just made Ron overweight. I felt like they kept giving him the short end of the stick. Hey, let's I, make Ron overweight. That's really what they base Ron's character on in Cursed Child. I have not read it, but I've heard not so positive things about Ron and Cursed Child, and it kind of has that visual to it a little bit for me. When I read Cursed Child, I was not a fan of what they did to Ron. I thought they did him dirty. When I saw the play as its own, I liked it. So just seeing it was different how I read it, but I, I definitely picture Ron being stronger after this and not kind of being the, the hey, it's Ron being Ron. Yeah, I really think when he shows up in Deathly Hallows Part 1, and kind of comes back from it. I just wish that that that's the Ron we would have gotten with that conviction. I think they're I think they shortchanged him a little bit. Uh, but Mark, I want to say one word to you, and I want you to go. And that word is always. <laughs> I definitely use it. And whenever someone brings up that word, always Harry Potter always pops in my mind. Depending on the context, I'll even do a bad Alan Rickman. Oh, where's so. <laughs> It's a very powerful quote for Harry Potter fans. I feel like they've all included it at some point in a love letter or a um, wedding ceremony at some point. But, hey, I mean, it just shows the power of Harry Potter to make one word that that powerful. I will say, and you can tell me how stupid I am for this. I really like the sentiment of the word. I love Alan Rickman as Snape. I think the way they pulled it off. But a guy being that obsessed with another man's wife, just, it doesn't work for me. I don't know what it is. I, I know he loves her and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, I don't know. That's just the way I feel about that word. And that's that's kind of the first thing that pops into my mind. But that's just how it makes me feel. No, I I get it. I don't think they... Snape is a character I feel like they shortchanged. Alan Rickman did a great job. I wish it was a thicker of a role so that he could have been nominated for it. In the end, yeah, they just... And I want everyone to remember, we're talking about the films. We're not talking about the book Snape. We're talking about the film Snape. I think the film Snape was thin. And if you're someone who didn't read the books and you got to... The Deathly Hallows Part 2, I don't, I don't think you would feel the way you did. When you read the books and you get to that Snape scene, you feel something. 
very, very heavy on your heart. But in the movie, you're like, all right, you know, I've read the books. I get where this is coming from. But in the movies, it, it's like you said, it comes off as a guy obsessed always with Lily. And I don't, I don't think it played as well as it could have. Yeah, I... I don't know. And like you said, the the character of Snape, they could have done a lot more with. They cut a lot of stuff out from the books that, that were there. Alan Rickman's portrayal of Snape was was perfect. Again, just the way that that and the word always J.K. Rowling told Alan Rickman what always meant. That's what kept Alan Rickman even in the role. Uh, so I think but he did it. He did a good job. They do a good job with the feelings. Again, that's just kind of the jerk in me or whatever you say. That's just kind of what makes me what it makes me feel like. No, I totally see your side, especially from a film perspective. I I easily see your side. Well, you know what? Let's keep with Snape. Let's move on to the Half-Blood Prince. I I really enjoyed the book came to me at a very hard time in life. The movie came to me at a very good time in life. Just this story means a lot to me. I like it a lot. I know some people kind of bring up they feel like nothing happens plus they definitely rearranged events that happened in this book and moved it around and whatnot so i get their concerns with it but overall i like the movie now in the book the half-blood prince huge reveal huge in the movie oh oh we forgot to bring that back full circle yeah he's the half-blood prince it it just kind of happens i will also say spoiler alert Dumbledore's death in the book hits you so hard. In the movie, I I don't mind that they adjusted a couple of things. And then with the music, Harry sitting over Dumbledore at the end, it hits you in all the feels. I just wish they would have made the moment a little longer. They could have just broken a little more of your heart and made a, just a little bit deeper of an impact but instead they just went for a little heartbreaking instead of we're going to crush your heart. This time they went, they went really hard into the, uh, we hope you're not familiar with the books kind of deal because in this one, Snape was the true villain. You, I like that they held the, the, the surprise that Snape was in on it and Dumbledore told Snape to kill him. Um, I'm glad they held that until later on. My problem with the Dumbledore death scene is that that visual that they got of him falling and his arms flailing, they play that same scene three or four or five other times in the rest of the movies where Harry constantly is revisiting that scene and it's always just that one part and he doesn't really, you don't see the death of Dumbledore from any other angle or something like that. It's true, it, you can see that Malfoy really is just a character of super bad parenting and he's not really that bad of a person. I kind of, like what they did with Malfoy. He doesn't have the guts to do it. I really like what they did there. Again, like you said, the Half-Blood Prince payoff in the movie isn't near as near as good, but I'm glad it was at least different than Chamber of Secrets because when you're in it, you're like, oh, the Half-Blood Prince is Voldemort. I, I mean, he's just, they're doing the same thing with the potions book that they did with the diary back in uh, the Chamber of Secrets. And then they at least do something a little bit differently. How he finds out is the Sanctum Sempra uh spell that he casts on him um i think that's i don't dislike how much it plays off near as much uh but i just it, it is a little bit just oh yeah we forgot i'm the half-blood prince kind of deal but at least to not do and my least favorite thing about harry potter in general is in the chamber of secrets with tom marvolo riddle to spell out i am voldemort the name marvolo i can't stand it it's too convenient to be in 
anagram for I am Lord Voldemort. I I don't like the name Marvolo at all. It's not a real name. It's a completely made up name just to make an acronym. I didn't I didn't like that at all. Those are going to be some dueling words for some wizards out there. Brian. Yeah, that's that's I I I mean come at me i will bow out real quick but that's just kind of my feelings i did like seeing harry with the book he gets to do a little darker acting but at the same time he comes off kind of annoying whining about malfoy so much i did like one of my favorite gifts is harry with the pinchers at aragog's funeral um that scene alone makes me laugh seriously misunderstood creatures spiders are the eyes, I reckon, they unnerve some folk. Not to mention the pincers. Yeah, I reckon that too. <laughs> I love that scene. Slughorn, I really enjoyed his scenes, especially between him and Harry. Just the, the guilt that's on his face when he does finally give up the memory to Harry. I think my biggest hang up with this movie, and we talked about we're not going to talk about the books influencing and all that kind of stuff, but something from the books that had a lot more impact was the scene when Harry has to force Dumbledore to drink that that water in that thing to then find the fake locket. And again, it's a fake locket. So, I mean, there's something to the whole nothing happens in this movie kind of deal. They're kind of where they were from the beginning. But just the way that scene where he has to force Dumbledore to drink it just didn't jump from page to screen. It's so much more impactful and emotional in the book, listening to Jim Dale read it the way I the way I consume the book. Uh, but just, it came off corny on film for me. I think the scene is definitely a dark, well-acted scene between the two of them. But I agree, it doesn't have the same impact as the books or the audiobooks. And that's another, like, I almost wonder, were they afraid to go too hard with it? Where they like, we can go hard, but it's still a Harry Potter movie. Let's, you know, let's not do that. Well, we're going to be leaving a chamber of Horcruxes to go to a chamber of secrets. We already know Brian's thoughts on Tom Riddle's name. So might as well go to the chamber of secrets. I like the film. One of my favorite comedic moments is in the movie when the boys take the flying car and they end up back at the burrow. Your sons flew that enchanted car of yours to Surrey and back last night. Did you really? How'd it go? I mean, that was very wrong indeed, boys. Very wrong of you. I love that scene so much. And then I think it's like shortly before that, shortly after that, Ginny comes running down. She's like, Mummy, Mummy, have you seen my jumper? And then that deer in headlights look when she sees Harry, because we've all been there. We've had a crush on someone and we bump into them unexpectedly i just thought those scenes were cute and a fun little change yeah when they use the car to break him out of the house out of the dursley's house i really like that like this is the introduction of dobby who i love so that's a big part of it too um but again i don't like spiders i don't like the name marvolo the chamber of secrets is really cool the basilisk the basilisk is really cool um, and then when Fox comes in and kind of claws its eyes out, the sort of the sort of Godric Gryffindor, again, these are shorter books. They're able to kind of tie up all those loose ends. Um, Moaning Myrtle, I love that character. She cracks me up. Side note for me, Moaning Myrtle is the same voice as Babu Frick from Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, the newest Star Wars movie, the little yep. alien guy that fixes C-3PO. It's the same voice. Uh, but I just like Moaning Myrtle. I just think the chamber, how they open it is really cool. Colin Creedy is 
awful. I don't enjoy that character even a little bit. The petrified stuff, it works, but I don't know. It's it's my least favorite of, of the movies just because it just visually doesn't have a ton that stands out. And it's just, again, it's not as well acted for me. I get it. As a movie, is it the strongest film? No, honestly, it's probably the weakest. But the film gives us Kenneth Brenna as Gildor Lockhart. And we all know he's one of my favorite directors. I love his acting. He was perfectly casted, which I can't believe because he wasn't the first choice. And I'm so glad he ended up in it. And then I enjoy the dueling scene between Snape and Gildor Lockhart. Going back to Sorcerer's Stone, I much prefer the extended editions of Chambered Secrets and the Sorcerer's Stone. There's parts that were left out, and it's funny because those are the longer movies. There's an extended version. Parts that were left out, I love both extended versions more than the theatrical ones. So if you get a chance, check those out. Well, we're going to end with the Goblet of Fire, where they decided to give the the boys in the film very interesting haircuts. So I, I know I've heard some people call it Harry Potter and the bad haircuts. This one was rumored for a long time that they thought about splitting it into two movies. And I can see why, but I'm also kind of glad they didn't do that. If they had split this one into two movies, they would have had to do that with like the rest of them. And I think that would have set a bad precedent. So I'm with you. I'm glad it was one movie. Agreed. They also, we also got a new composer for this film and it's like, how do you replace John Williams? I mean, they've had to do it for other franchises that he's part of, but I think every score going, there's not a bad film score in this film franchise. And with this one, I think it goes strong. I love that they didn't just recycle everything. The composer, Danny Boyle, he interpreted in his own way, which is what you're supposed to do. He created new themes. I also love the rock songs that were used for the Yule Ball. I thought that was a fun little change for everything. Again, I, I never really picked up on the bad haircuts, uh, but I, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know. I just didn't notice. Um, I have a gigantic crush, had a gigantic crush on Fleur Delacour. So yes. that's a big part yep. of it, too. Uh, but Hagrid getting his own his own lady, like, I think that was a lot of fun. Just the existence of other magical schools, I think, was really cool. I The Triwizard Tournament is what it is. There's a lot of really cool stuff, and there's a lot of more stuff in the book that they could have included. But I think the stuff they did include was as good as they could do. The underwater scene with Victor Crumb being being the shark, I think, is really kind of a fun little visual. It's not like the greatest special effects looking back on it now, but it's still pretty fun. Cedric Diggory, uh, Team Hufflepuff, woohoo. Uh, Are you saying that the um, half shark man looked better in Moana? I am actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maui, okay. Maui, Dwayne the Rock Johnson was a better half shark than than Victor Crumb. But I, again, seeing Quidditch as a full sport. Uh, was really cool going to the Quidditch World Cup at the beginning and seeing Victor Crumb and kind of introducing his character and his lore a little bit. I just think it was executed really, really well. It's it's really fun. I do think that just including Harry Potter in the Triwizard Tournament is kind of fun. Um, and Mark, I know you have some feelings on how Harry Potter was included in the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. Oh, I made a mistake. It's Patrick Doyle, who's the composer, <laughs> Oscar nominee Patrick Doyle. So I... 
it is a hot topic for me how Harry, because everyone loves to bring up, I feel like it's the most famous scene, infamous scene even in the movie, where, you know, Dumbledore pulls out Harry's name and everyone loves to bring up in the books, he says very quietly, you know, and calmly, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And then in the movies we get, How did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? I need everyone to please let this go. Yes, it's, thank you. Thank like, you. Like, let it go. Let it go. Please let it go. It. If you thought it was funny in the beginning, okay, fine. Cool. I, I never really was someone who liked it. I, I go, the screenwriter wrote it. The author obviously had a lot of say in everything, was good with it. The director felt it was right. The actor felt it was natural. The producers were all good with it. The editor worked it in there, didn't have any issues with it. All of these people felt it was right for the film. Would it have played better if they had done it? Who knows? Not if the rest of the scene was played out the same way. The emotion of the scene caused Dumbledore to react in that manner. That's just it. I I think it feels extremely natural. I'm good with it. I don't have any problems. When I watch the scene, I get irritated because I know all these people that feel the need to point out how it was in the book. Okay, if you're going to point out how this is different from the book, then I hope you point out every single thing that is different. Please don't ask people to do that. Please don't ask people to do that. You know what? People love making memes. If it makes you happy, please do it. Just move on from this one. Let it go. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, but I think another reason I really like this movie is I'm your typical, the movie didn't end happily even a little bit. Like, Cedric Diggory's dead, Voldemort's back. Uh, like, there's nothing happy at all. And they actually chose to end a movie on not a happy note. And I think that was just so different from everything else that we'd seen so far. And just that cemetery scene when Voldemort comes back, like, that is straight creepy. Uh, yeah. That scene is really, really cool. And just... Just the way it played in when you go from if you watch them right back to back four to five of the boy who lies and all that kind of stuff, like it just plays really well. I like how they ended the movie. I I I think Robert Pattinson was perfectly cast as Cedric Diggory. His death when he comes back into the arena, that death hit really hard with the dad over the body and the music. Yeah, that's, the band playing the victory song and then his dad. Yeah, that's tough. To uh, it hit so hard. After that, you know, we find out who Mad-Eye Moody really is. And then you have the scene where Dumbledore is talking to the school about how things have changed. Just like them mourning Cedric hit so hard. And they try to lighten things up with, you know, Durmstrang and the Bobatons leaving. And then Harry, Ron, and Hermione saying everything has changed, hasn't it? Little do they know just how things have changed. Things are going to get harder and darker. And then you have them looking out on to the lock. And it's just like the filmmakers know things are only going to get harder from here. But let's let ha have them look out at a beautiful sight just one more time. 
before things really lose all their innocence. They they do their best. I almost wish the movie had a little bit less at the end of it, just to kind of hit home with you. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying I want to walk out of that movie feeling like I did at the end of Avengers: Infinity War or something like that. But still, to have it end on such a dark note when the first three overall had been so happy at the end, you know, like I just to take a different departure. Uh, that really worked for me. I really liked that movie. Anyone else creeped out with Moaning Myrtle in the um, prefect's bathroom in the um, bath with Harry? Anybody else creeped out? Long time no see. There's a few problematic things that came out of Moaning Myrtle for sure. <laughs> well, that concludes our episode about the wizarding film world of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. We hope you enjoyed this magical journey with us. Next week on UWF, Brian and I will be hitting it out of the park as we discuss some of our favorite baseball movies, such flicks as The Sandlot, Major League, Moneyball, Build of Dreams, and so many others. It'll be fun for you baseball and movie fans out there, so tune in. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know with a rate or review. For those listeners with any comments or questions, and I'm sure we'll have a lot after this episode, Drop us a line so we can reply. Brian, tell our listeners how they can message the show and stay up to date on everything UWF. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at United We Fan Podcast, or you can shoot us that hate mail that you may have at <laughs> United We Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, check out our Instagram. We post some really cool episode posters and we let you know what our next episode is going to be all about. Thank you, CKCC Radio. Check us out in the many podcasts of CKCC Radio, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Till we unite again, fans, and remember Minister of Magic. You may not like him, Minister, but you can't deny Dumbledore's got style. Please, you want me to tap dance? I don't want to tap dance. Tell us why it's wrong. Oh, yeah, tell, tell, tell.